turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 12 through 22, but I'm going to read verses 12 through the end of the chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole soul, spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, we thank you that you've given us your word You've given us your written word so we can know what your will is for your people. You've given us the living word, your own son. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you have us and that you love us and that you are able to not only grow us but to complete the work you began in us. And it's your ability and your faithfulness that is our hope. Lord, may we look to you to give us what we need to discern the needs of one another. We pray even this morning for that fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. We pray even today, Lord, for the ability to put this into practice. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. So when God, by his Holy Spirit, first shows us that we need Jesus and first brings us to a place where we know, I want to trust Jesus. When we first get to this place where we know that we're loved by God and that's proven because of who Jesus is and what he's done, and he begins to change our hearts, one of the first changes is we have a love for God's people. We want to be with them. We want to know them. We, we have something in common. I've told this corny story before, but I'm going to tell it again because I'm in my 50s. When I, the, the day I got saved, October 4th, 1987, and, and I had this radical conversion experience. I'm 18 years old, and after I, I come to know the Lord, we, we, with the youth group I was with, we all went to this burger place called In-N-Out Burger in Southern California. Great place. If you're ever in Southern California, go to In-N-Out. And in that happens to be owned by Christians. So on the bottom of their cup, it says like John 3.16. And on the side of their, 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 where their chips are, it says, it says Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now, I'd been going to In-N-Out for years, and I'd never noticed this before. 
So the night I get saved, someone points this out to me. And I'm so excited to finally, to know Jesus and to know that I'm loved, that I rush up to where the guys are selling the stuff and I go, hey, hey, I got saved tonight, John 3.16. And the guy's like, I just make the fries, man. <laughs> but I wanted them to know what I assumed they knew about how great it was to be loved by God. And so when we know we're loved by God, our desire is to love one another. That's what he, he does. We, we want to love the way he loves. We recognize that needs to be there. But when we start to do it, we go, man, this is really hard. It's really hard to love like Jesus loves. It's really hard to know how to do it. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to uh, the believers in Philippi, he, 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 this is how he prays for them. Listen to this in Philippians chapter 1. He prays this way. And it is my prayer, Paul prays, that you, your love may abound more and more, notice, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That you would love more and more with knowledge and discernment. We know we're supposed to love each other, right? We, we started off this series of the one another commands, hopefully making it clear to everybody, but th this is the command, uh, the, the, to love one another, this command is, is kind of the foundation for all other commands. Everything else that we're commanded to do toward one another is simply an expression of loving one another. And the, and the reality is, it's hard to know how to love person A and person B, and person C, all on the same day. Because they're in radically different places. How do we do this? How do we discern how to love people? When we see a need, how do we know how we're supposed to need it, or if we're supposed to need it? When we see something's not quite right with somebody, how do we know why something's not quite right with somebody? How do we discern the, discern the needs from one another? One of the biggest mistakes I, I continue to make uh, in ministry is the one-size-fits-all mistake of thinking when I'm counseling somebody, oh, I know exactly what they need because God spoke this to me today and I really needed this, so I need to hear what I had, to, what God said to me today, but actually maybe they need to hear something radically different. So how do we do this? How do we discern the needs of one another? How do we trust Jesus to enable us to meet the right need at the right time? Time. Well, we're going to talk about three ways. Three ways that can help us discern the needs of one another. The first one in verses 12 and 13 is we need to learn to value the discernment of leadership. Now, this is the context that Paul's writing this in. Paul says in verse 12, we're asking you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So what he's asking them to do is to respect the labor of leadership. And this is kind of a side note, but I think it's really important. Any of you that are aspiring to leadership, men or women, because we have women deacons, that's leadership. Anyone who's aspiring to leadership, please know ahead of time, it's labor. It's hard work. We try, I try really hard not to burn out all the volunteer team. Don't always succeed. Because it's hard work. There's a lot of needs. And what Paul wants the, wants the Thessalonians to do, this new kind of fledgling church with I mean, if you think about this church, this church was kind of 
Paul went and planted this church, preached the gospel, the church was started. He was only there for a matter of weeks and left them to themselves. And then writes the first letter and then the second letter to them. And here's this fledgling church, and you can imagine that, that you have a group of people, maybe, I don't know, they say there's 16 or 20 adults in this new church, and they're all, they've all been Christian for a matter of weeks or months, and someone's got to lead them. And so a couple of them say, well, I'll do this. I'll, I'll labor and I'll lead. And you can imagine people kind of going, well, who, who do those guys think they are? Well, maybe I want to be the leader. And the, kind of, the, the thing that would be tricky to, to discern this, and Paul's kind of said, you know what, listen, you understand these guys are laboring for you. Now, it's interesting because Paul was a great example of someone who labored in his leadership. In fact, he, there's three ways that, that leaders uh, labor. One is they labor in the word to equip your discernment. In fact, I hope as we're going through this series that you guys are feeling the need to be equipped. You're realizing, man, there's a lot about this stuff that I don't really know. Because that's what I'm feeling when I'm teaching this. This this is what Paul says about elders. Let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Why? Because they're equipping everybody else to do the work of ministry. But also, Paul describes his own labor this way. He describes that as the laboring of a birthing mother to bring people to maturity. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Now I know, ladies, you want to roll your eyes like a man talking about labor. (laughs) And it is a bit cringy, but still, you get the point. But also, and this is probably the one that I think is most important for us today. Paul says this about his own ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I worked harder than any of them, speaking of the other apostles, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Now, that's not a humble brag by Paul. What Paul's trying to be clear to the Corinthians is, hey, I can only do what God gives me the grace to do. In other words, all labor of all leaders and all God's people is limited. Which is what we'll see in a minute. We all need to be involved. But we should respect the leaders that God puts over us as those who hopefully are setting a good example of laboring. Again, I don't want this to sound like a humble brag, but I want to be really clear to everybody. I do not get paid for what I do on Sunday. I am paid full-time by the church, and I work full-time Tuesday through Saturday. Sometimes that is hard to discern. Is this just, you know, enjoying fellowship, or is this work? I don't know. Sometimes that's hard to discern, I'll be honest. But Sundays, I'm here as a volunteer. And I do that on purpose because I know so many people who serve so hard who also serve as volunteers. The reality is there's something laborious about our ministry one to another. And so we need to have that in mind and look for guys who give give us a good example. But also Paul says in verse 13, notice, he says, And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work and to be at peace among yourselves. We need to esteem the complexity of ministry. And this is really important when it comes to discerning the needs of one another. Because here's a reality. Leadership often knows things you cannot know about people's lives. Now, they can't know everything, but they often know stuff about people's lives they don't know. One of the things that I've seen so many times, and I'll be honest, this is one of the hardest things it is for me to to lead, because I, I don't like disappointing people. But there are times when people will say, how come you don't have so-and-so doing such and such? Well, I just don't think that's the right fit right now. And they think, 
there's John controlling everything again. And I can see the look on their face. And I have to say it's hard. Because that isn't, that might be my temptation, but that isn't my heart. And that isn't what I'm trying to do. But often people are in a place where they have needs that you don't know about. And it would be unhelpful for them to be put into a certain position. Here's another instance. People have needs that they won't let me tell anybody about. That's a tough one. There's definitely times when you cannot promise confidentiality to people. I hope you guys realize that. There's times when you are legally bound not to keep confidences. But there's other times when I'm not legally bound to keep, or I'm not legally bound to, to make that confidence known, but people don't want anybody else to know but me. And so it's very tricky to know how to meet a need. I say this, this is not about you guys feeling sorry for me or, or, or anything like that, but it is about recognizing if we're going to help each other, you've got to know sometimes, that you, a lot of times when you're like, especially when big things happen, it's wise to ask the leadership. It's wise to ask the trustees, hey, I'm seeing this. Uh, I, I've gone to the person, which you should always do first, and, and, I, and I just, I don't know if, I'm not really sure what to do here. Because we, not, we might not know anything about it, to be honest, that could, that could be the case. But it might be a situation where we know something enough to say, you know what, there are some things going on that I, I really just can't share. So just keep praying for them, and I'll let you know if there's a chance for us to help them in a different way. That's hard, isn't it? It's a difficult thing to do. It's difficult for you guys, and it's difficult for me. But Paul seems to lay this out as part of how we discern the needs of one another. How we seek to do good, as, as the way he says it in verse 15, which we'll get to in a minute. See, the scripture, we, not only do, do people or leaders often know things you can't know, and they, they can't know everything, and because they can't know everything, please don't be afraid to ask for clarity or question a decision or even disagree. This is not about blanket adherence to leadership. The New Testament doesn't teach that. But it is about uh, you being willing to say, okay, there's probably a chance that John or the trustees know things about the people in the church that we don't know. That, that happens. Now, please don't mean, take that to mean either that you should, have, you should suspect there's something behind the surface in every situation. That's not at all what we're saying. Just saying when it comes to discerning needs, sometimes we have to discern things that we just can't know. But also, please do be afraid <laughs> of discouraging or dividing God's people. Because one of the things that happens is there are needs that need to be met at Servants Church. And we're seeking God's wisdom and provision to meet those needs. And we can't always meet those needs the way you think they should be met. And so you can be frustrated that needs, are real needs, aren't getting met. And you can be frustrated, and guess what you can do? You can complain about it, you can gossip about it, and guess what that does? It discourages God's people and divides them. It never helps meet needs, ever. So, so the reason I'm saying this is because I think probably way more for the Thessalonians than it would be for us. But there, was a, there are situations where you know what, You're, you want to see if you can help people in different circumstances. And you don't always know what to do. And, you know, a good place to start is to go to the leaders and say, you're not really sure what to do. What's your suggestion? You know, a lot of times, probably I'd say more times than not, people come to us and say, there's a need, we, 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 we want something to do. I'll say, that's a great, yeah, I think you're seeing something really important. Why don't you meet that need? Oh, no, I'm just letting you know. That also isn't helpful. 
Because look at what Paul says in verse 14. Paul says in verse 14, now, and we urge you, brothers. You can read that, brothers and sisters. Feel free. Paul's there saying, okay, you, brethren, you congregants, respect those people that are leading over you, but also you have ministry to do. There's things that God calls you to do, that you're being equipped to do. And what he does is this. Look at verse 14. He lists three kinds of people. He says, verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish, he says, the idle, encourage, he says, the faint-hearted, and help, he says, the weak. Three kinds of people here. Now, the point that I think Paul's going to make here, and this is the thing that I really, this, these were the two verses that really, in verse 14 and 15, that I really was kind of wanting to focus on about discerning the needs of one another, is that it's obvious that these are different kinds of people, or different people in different circumstances, and who have different needs. And so there's a need to discern who's where. This is not to say that there's only these three kinds of needs uh, in any particular situation. But it is to say that we have to discern what's going on in someone's life or we're going to help them. Or, or the way I put it on your notes here is we have to know people's stories so we can determine their struggle. But let's talk about who these three are, okay? The idol. Who are the idol? Well, in Thessalonians, in the Thessa, in the, uh, to, the Thessa, in, to the Thessalonians, their, their idol is identified as this. The people that are idol are this way. It says in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, For we heard that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. And apparently there are people who are, and this is the whole context of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, there were people that were so sure Jesus was going to come back anytime they said, forget it, we're not going to work. God's people will take care of us. We're not going to work. And Paul says, no, no, those, those guys need to be corrected. They, they need to get jobs and, you know, kind of pay their own way. Don't put that burden on the church. And here's why this is interesting. Interesting because the word isn't actually idle. When it says the idol, it's not someone who's being lazy. The context would bear that out. It is talking about people who are being lazy. But the word is the insubordinate. Someone who breaks ranks. Someone who's unruly. That's the idea. In fact, some of your versions may even say that. And this is important because there's, there's a big difference between someone who's being unruly and someone who's being faint-hearted. Who are the faint-hearted? In this context, in, in, in Thessal, uh, Thessal, Thessaloniki, uh, the, the faint-hearted would be those who are anxious about their own salvation or the salvation of, of deceased loved ones because they had this understanding that Jesus is going to come back and establish his, his, his uh, kingdom on earth, which he is, hallelujah. And so they were thinking they got to be alive when Jesus comes back so they can enjoy his kingdom. That's not true. And so Paul talks about that. He brings comfort. We know this, again, because here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul writes, uh, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who, do not, who have no hope. In other words, your, your misunderstanding about this whole death thing, death is not the end for us. There's a resurrection because we have a resurrected Savior. So when loved ones die before the Lord comes back, it's going to be okay. We still have the same hope. So, so the faint-hearted, whereas the idle or the unruly are those who are not meeting their responsibilities, the faint-hearted are those who are confused and worried and scared. 
What about the weak? Now, there's some debate about this. Some people think the weak in, in 1 Thessalonians, or the Thessalonian context, is, is what we read in chapter 4, or what you would have read in chapter 4, um, about these who are struggling with temptation, specifically sexual sin. Because you see Paul talking very bluntly. He's saying this is your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual morality. And it's like that, you would, that you'd have self-control. Because, of course, in that culture, when, when Paul writes the Thessalonians in their culture, it was normal to, to, especially for men, to have sex with pretty much who you wanted, especially if you were a wealthy man. So, so in our culture, the only kind of taboo sex is non-consensual sex. That's the only real taboo. As long as there's consent, people like it. It's, it's your own business. But in that culture, consent didn't matter. I don't know if you guys know this, but consent is actually, was actually something that Christians brought into the picture. But there's a reality that, that what, what they said was, no, it's, 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 you, have, you have power, you can have sex with that person. Or if you want to be part of the culture, because they, they would worship sex in these temples, you can have sex with this person. That's fine. And Paul's having the same thing, it doesn't work that way. Now this is important too, because Paul didn't say, rebuke those guys. He says, help them. Because he's assuming that someone who's been grown up in a culture like that, who's been sort of indoctrinated in a culture like that, is going to need help to know God has a better standard for sexuality than that. Do you understand? Also, though, we, here's what we also know. From 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14, Paul talks about the weak as the person who's so afraid of doing something wrong they make up rules that God doesn't make. And he gives, he gives um, examples of what we might call freedom issues. Can you eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? Now, Paul says, you can, just don't ask where it came from. But he knows that some people can't handle that. If that, was, uh, that, that meat was offered to an idol, I can't eat that meat. I, I would feel completely convicted that I'm worshiping that idol. And so some of those people are the weaker, uh, the weaker members, and so they need to be helped to know that, you know, you can have freedom, but you also don't need to do this. Others, when it comes to weakness, we're thinking, okay, I can eat whatever I want. It doesn't make a difference. Kingdom of God is not about me eat and drink. But they're, they're eating whatever they want, not being strong in love, thinking about the person that's weak. Again, they need to be helped in these things. Now, now why am I kind of making sure that we understand who these people are. Because if we know who these people are in that sense, here's what we can understand. The people who read this would have known what these people were like. They would have known their stories. They would have known that the unruly idle person is misapplying or using a, a, a biblical doctrine of Jesus returning to get away with something they shouldn't get away with. And they need to be, as we'll see, dealt with. They, they, he also said, the faint-hearted are those people that are so grieving and so worried, and they need to be comforted and encouraged. And, and the, the weak, well, they just need to be helped. They're struggling with sin and self-control. Let's help them. Let's walk with them. A lot of times, guys, we can make the wrong judgment a call about where someone is. We can do this because we can look at someone's personality, and we can project onto their personality what their struggle is. So let me give you a couple of quick examples. Someone who's just very timid. Oh, they're just timid and sweet and they're quiet. So their problem must always be weakness. But those quiet people can be the most unruly in the bunch. 
And that loud American, he must always be unruly. That's usually probably true. But sometimes he's just weak. He's barely hanging on. How do you know? You learn their story. You listen well. You hear where they're coming. And listen, you learn to tell your own story. You're honest about where you're at. See, discerning the needs of one another is we need to seek God's best for the individual. In fact, also in verse 14, what does he say? Identifying the idle and the faint-hearted and the weak, right? He says to the, to the idle, you need to admonish. You know what admonish means? It means to warn. So we warn against insubordination. We warn against rebelling against God's standards. We warn against being lazy. Gosh, we talk about sexual sin all the time. Anybody talk about laziness? Do you know, for, you know how sinful laziness is? Oh, it's a big deal. All the kids are going, dang it, John. Now my parents are going to be on my case about being lazy. But laziness is a sin. It's a sin against the creation order. It's a sin against the gospel. He says, we need to admonish people. And what do we do? We admonish them and call them to return to Jesus. Jesus talked uh, strongly about turning back, about repentance. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. There's a time when people have an arrogant sense that they are above God's standards and they need to be rebuked. The loving thing to do is rebuke them. Now, you can rebuke somebody without being a jerk. You can. I can't, but you can. You can. You can learn to rebuke somebody without being a jerk. You can learn to say to somebody, hey, that's not on. Come on. That's not what God calls us to do. One of my, my friends used to go to the church. used to, of course, as most of you do, make fun of my accent. And he used to say, hey, man, that's not Jesus. Because I used to say that to them when they would do something that wasn't on. Hey, man, that's not, that's not Jesus. That's not what we, we don't, we don't want to be about that. That's a rebuke. It doesn't have to be harsh, but it does need to be clear. Why? We want them to turn back to Jesus. We want them to follow Jesus, right? Jesus came for people who are willing to turn back to him. What does he say in Luke chapter 5, verse 32? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Hey, are you unruly? Guess what? You qualify to repent. You know what else? Jesus says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Do you recognize how lost you are without him? Good news, he came to seek you. He came to seek you. So again, we're not trying to shame people. We are trying to warn them about the seriousness of this unruliness. What about the uh, faint-hearted? What do we do with them? We encourage them or we comfort them. This is what, exactly what Paul did in 1 Thessalonians. He says, that we who are alive, talking about those who might be worried, did we miss it, did we miss it? So here he talks about after the resurrection, there's this thing that we call the rapture. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here's the comfort. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage or comfort one another with these words. What about when people are just feeling like, okay, I know the Lord's with me, but man, it's hard to follow him. I feel like I've given up everything and I'm not sure if it's worth it. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples when they were feeling this way. 
in Matthew chapter 19. He says, everyone who gives up has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property. For my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. See, these who are faint-hearted, we encourage with the truth of Jesus, the promise of Jesus. What about those who are struggling? Those who are just feeling weak in their faith, struggling with temptation, struggling with freedom issues. Well, then they need practical care, practical instruction to learn how to walk in fellowship with Jesus. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, yes, every, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. You know what, what the weak need? They need to see examples of people who just want to follow Jesus. They don't need to see examples of people thumping their chest. I'm strong, you be strong. They need, to follow, they need to see examples of people going, I just know I need Jesus and I really want Jesus more than this other junk that I sometimes want. I want him more. I want to follow him. I want to go after him. Hey, let's do this together. If you struggle to read the scriptures, you struggle to be disciplined to read the scriptures, you know what's a good idea to do? Tell somebody, and if somebody tells you they're struggling, you know what's a good thing to do? Read the scriptures with them. Novel idea. Well, I thought we could only read the Bible to collectively at church. I thought every other time I had to be by myself and it had to be 4.30 in the morning. We need to be in the Word daily, but where is it written that it has to be you by yourself? Read the Scripture with someone else. I'm just struggling with my prayer life. You know what? I've been honest about this before from the pulpit. I struggle with my prayer life. I, I, first of all, and I've, I think this is actually biblical. I've kind of realized this is biblical. I struggle. I, I can't really pray unless I pray out loud. I, I struggle to just pray in my head. I mean, sometimes you have to. They look like a lunatic. But, I mean, I struggle to pray just in my head. So I've got to pray out loud. So I need a place to do that. But, you know, also sometimes I just can't, even when I'm praying out loud, I can't concentrate. My mind starts going off to think about responsibility. This is why I give such thanks for my wife, Sarah, who loves to pray. At any time, any place, I can say, babe, let's pray. Or sometimes she'll just say, she'll beat me to the punch and say, babe, let's pray. And we can pray together. And, and I got some great advice when I first uh, was doing my first internship way back in the day. I think it was 1990. The pastor of the church took me aside and he said, uh, um, someone had asked for prayer. I said, yeah, we'll pray for that. And the guy walked away. And he says, never just say, we'll pray for that. Pray for the person. I wish I could say it every single time I pray for the person, but usually I try to. Because you know why? We forget to pray. But pray right there, right then. Why not? The point is this, okay? What we need when we're weak is other brothers and sisters who will just walk with us to say, let's just follow Jesus. He's worth it. That's what we need. Now, I hope you're seeing that the point of this is that if we're going to discern the needs of one another, we need to seek the God's best for that individual. And God's best for the unruly person is not, hey, so don't worry about it, God loves you. That's not God's best for them because you're encouraging the hardness of their heart. And God's best 
for the person who's just worried about something that you would think, gosh, you shouldn't be worried about this, you know, after all these years of being a Christian. God's best for that person, though. Listen, isn't. What's wrong with you? Stop worrying. God's best is, look, here's why you don't have to worry. Here's the promise of Jesus. Are you guys, are you guys following me? The point is, is that we need to seek this for people. We need to say, God, how do we help people? Now, also notice the last part of verse 14 and all of, all of verse 15, because this does tie with it. He says, after he's saying, okay, discern how you're going to do this. Seek the God's best for the individual. What the idle, the idle person needs is different than what the faint-hearted person needs, which is different than what the weak person needs. But notice what he says, verse 14, be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. And you see the fact that this was kind of, implied here in verse 15 is that be patient because they're probably driving you nuts or treating you badly in their different circumstances. Because what does he say verse 15? See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to others and to everyone. Now, to everyone means that we're not supposed to be so tribal as Christians that we only want to do good to each other. But the d- distinction there uh, to one another and to everyone means our priority is the one another. Okay. But this is important, listen. Because what he's saying is, you need to choose patience over payback. When people treat me bad, you know what my first response is? I'm going to blank you. So if I'm blanking you, you might want to come and say, John, are you blanking me? Because I can't do that. I don't, I don't think bad thoughts, evil thoughts. I just say, you're not worth my thoughts anymore. This is what I tend to do. This is sin. I'm confessing sin, by the way. I hope we understand this. And it's not right. Because God calls us to be patient with one another. Can you imagine if Jesus blanked us every time we sinned against him? Cool. See, here's the reality, guys. Listen. People change slowly. And we're all people. We've got to be patient with each other. Discerning the needs for one another. We're, we're so impatient. We so want to just fix it. Let's just fix it. But here's the reality. Listen, we've got to know God's wisdom before we start giving people counsel. Again, this is a mistake I make all the time. You've heard it said before. It's very cliche, but it's also very true. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. We need to listen. We hear people's stories. Where are they at? Why are they struggling the way they're struggling? We need to pray for wisdom. God, give me wisdom because I don't have wisdom on my own to know how to meet needs, to even identify the need, let alone meet the need. Help me to identify what this person's need is and then to meet that need. And we need to trust God to give, it, give, us, give us patience because guess what you're going to find out if you haven't experienced this already? When it comes to God's people and you trying to minister to one another, We just are so slow to learn, aren't we? (laughs) It's amazing how slow we are to learn, all of us. So, at this point, we might be thinking, okay, this is fine, John. I I, I can hear where you're coming from, and you're right, this is really tricky. But it kind of doesn't make me feel like I can do anything. I'm kind of hearing this, and I'm feeling like, man, okay, I... Okay, I know I need to seek the individuals or God's best for the individual, and I, I, I know I need to, to, to recognize that you might know stuff I don't know and that uh, I need to maybe involve you if it's a real heavy situation. But So does that mean I should just do nothing? 
Now, we already feel this temptation because this is what most people do. I rarely have people come to me and say, hey, I just want to let you know there's a situation and I am praying with this person and walking them through this, but I did kind of feel like you needed to know. It's sorted. I appreciate your prayers, but I'm doing that. That has happened in a handful of times in the 30 years that I've been in ministry. What usually happens is people go, so-and-so is in trouble, and they, you need to sort that out. Can you take care of them? Because I'm, you know, I'm trying to worship here, and you need to sort them out. That's what usually happens. No, what we need is, we need this kind of discernment, but listen, we also need to respond to what God has revealed. This is the, the context. Look at this. Listen, look at this. Verse 16, right? You guys know these three commands. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. We all know these, right? And we know that these are all the will of God in Christ Jesus. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about praying for one another. So we're going to unpack this even more back then, or and then in a couple of weeks, okay? But he, just, for, just quickly, I want to think about, here's what I see in these three verses, right? I see a call from Paul for us to recognize what's always true and to express what's always true through prayer. Always. Rejoice always. Why? Because God is always good. Always. God is good all the time? A few of you guys know that. Do we know who, who grew up in Pentecostal churches and who didn't? <laughs> I know that one. God is always good. That's why. Why do we pray without ceasing? Because God is always available. Always. God, where are you? Right here. <laughs> I have never left or forsaken you. He's always available. Give thanks in all circumstances. Wait, wait a second. I cannot be thankful. We cannot be thankful for the Hubbard's pain. Can we? No, but we can be thankful to God in this, in their pain. You know why? Because God is always working. Always. This, listen, even if you're, you're, you're not sure what to do, I don't know. I don't know what the need is. I don't know how to meet the need. Can you pray to the God? That, can you rejoice in the God who's always good? Can you pray to the God who's always available? Can you thank the God who's always working? Yes, you can. And sometimes, listen, guys, that's what we all need. Sometimes our needs are so specific that we don't even know how they're going to get met. But when someone comes alongside and just empathizes with us and just feels our pain, and just, let's just pray and just thanks God for us and, and prays that God would work through this, and, re and says, God, thank you that you can bring, you're going to bring good out of this because you're the good God. Sometimes just that reminder of who God always is is enough for them to take the next step. There's something for you to do as you're discerning the needs of one another. You following me? But there's more. Listen, there's more. Not only do we want to recognize what's always true, but also we want to expect God to speak. This is the whole point in, in, in verses 19 and 20. Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Now, we don't know for sure what was happening in Thessalonica, but we kind of get a sense that maybe these guys definitely loved the word of God. Paul's really clear about that. They received the teaching of scripture as if it was what it is, the word of God. When Paul taught, they took that as God was speaking to them. That's great. 
But maybe there were people that were prophesying and they were just going, whatever, dude, shut up. We just want to hear the Bible study. Who knows? Maybe there was even some guys who were prophesying. Some, maybe some of these idol guys who were thinking Jesus is going to come back were constantly talking about that. And they're like, whatever, we don't want to hear this anymore. I mean, we don't know. But what we do know is Paul's saying, listen, it quenches the spirit when we don't believe God speaks this way. Listen to what the scripture says. Listen, 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We're going to talk about what New Testament prophecy is in a second, but just follow me with us, okay? What's our pursuit? What's the foundation for the one another commands? It's love, isn't it? God, you so loved us, we want to love each other because that's the apologetic for your truth. That's the evidence of who you are and what you say. And so this is what we, we, what we want to do, Lord. So, okay, if we're going to do this, then we need to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Interesting, the, the, that phrase, spiritual gifts. There's a, there's a Greek word, charismata. You may have heard this before. Charismata, which are the, the gifts of grace. I think we might have talked about this in a previous study. The, the phrase there, spiritual gifts, is not charismata. It's another word, pneumaticos. Now, I don't know where Rory is, but I'm sure he's going to say I'm mispronouncing both these words. Am I, Rory? Pretty good? Oh, pretty good. All right, right, thanks. Rory studied Greek. I haven't studied Greek yet. But it's this word, pneumaticos, which doesn't emphasize the gift itself, but the work of God's spirit to bring that gift to pass, to empower that gift. This is important. Because here's the deal. We, we, we are pursuing love. God, we just want to love people. And we need, we desire the work of your Holy Spirit to know how to love people and then to have the power to love those people. Especially that we might say the right thing at the right time. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes what people need isn't a prophetic word. Sometimes what they need is 20 quid. Sometimes what they need is someone to help them mow their lawn. Sometimes what they need is a hug. But, but the point is, God, I want to love people this way, so I'm pursuing that work of your spirit to empower me and lead me how to do this. But especially that we'd prophesy, okay? So we should expect God to speak. Listen, when it comes to discerning the needs of others, has God spoken in his word how to meet people's needs? Has God spoken in his word how to meet people's needs? Absolutely. Guys, why, why do we meet on a Sunday? Why do we gather under the word of God on a Sunday? If not to hear what he's like, what he's doing, and how he wants us to be involved. God meets these. I'll tell you right now, I'm doing this biblical counseling course, and the module I'm in right now is called Theology and Secular Psychology. And it's a, it's a great, it's a mind-blowing, great module. And here's the thing that I'm learning. Here's the concrete thing that I'm learning, okay? Two, two main things. One is the reality of what's called common grace, which is the idea that, that God has given even unbelievers wisdom about lots of things. And so sometimes what we observe uh, or what psychiatrists and psychologists have observed about human behavior, there's some insight to that. That's one thing I'm learning. Here's the other thing I'm learning. None of it has the answer. 
absolutely none of it. But the answer is Jesus every time. What, what we're learning is that as much as we can glean things, and, and even secular counseling can be helpful, the answer is always who God is and what he does to save us. Always. We have what is needed to help one another if we're willing to expect God to speak to us. Can you see how this connects back to honoring the leaders that you have? Because our job is to equip you to minister to one another. Uh, we're down there with you. I'm down there with you. I, I want to equip, I want to minister to one another, and I need your ministry as much as you need my ministry. But this is my main responsibility, is to equip you. And so if you don't have confidence that God has spoken already, I failed. Forgive me. Because he has. And not only that, listen. We can know when God is speaking now, when we know how God has spoken already. This is where prophecy comes in. So let's quickly, quickly talk about how do we test all things? Because what does Paul say? He says, he says don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. That's God speaking. But what does he say? Verse 21, but test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Test all things. So how do we test what is said? Because if we want to respond to what God's revealed, we want to say, God, what does your word say? We want to use what your word says to help one another. We want to be praying for the Spirit to show us uh, how, how we can say that right word. So what's the difference between Old Testament and New Testament prophecy? This is really important, guys. Really important, one, to understand why the Bible's authoritative. And it's also really important to understand if we're going to actually practically help people and know when God is speaking, uh, wants us to speak a prophetic word. Okay? Listen. Old Testament prophecy versus New Testament prophecy. Old Testament prophecy applies to all people all the time. So when you read the Old Testament, it talks about prophets, the things that were recorded by those prophets, as in what we sometimes call the major and minor prophets. All that stuff, though it was originally written for a specific audience from a specific author, and that's how we find out what the specific meaning is, it has authority for all people at all time. Do you understand this? Okay. That's Old Testament prophecy. In the New Testament, it, equi it equates Old Testament prophets with New Testament apostles. The apostles, those that Jesus chose, spoke with that kind of authority. Nobody else does. Nobody else does. Now, if you want to go deeper with me about this stuff, if you disagree with me, please come and tell me. But I've I, I got to tell you, I'm not going to budge on this. The word of God has to be the authority. We can't just kind of write in the back of your Bible, thus says the Lord to John Brown. You can't do that. However, there is such a thing as New Testament prophecy, which applies to specific people at a specific time. Now, this is tricky if you've not been involved with this, if you haven't experienced either God giving you a prophetic word or um, someone speaking a prophetic word over you. If you haven't experienced this, it can be kind of freaky, kind of weird. It can sound kind of strange. But it's actually not as strange as you think. One of the ways that we discern New Testament prophecy is its specificity. How specific is it? 
So, so when I've been in meetings and someone says, this is the Lord's message for us, my dear children, uh, God loves you, he's got a wonderful plan for your life, that's a nice exhortation, but I wouldn't say it was prophetic. I'm not saying it's not of God, it's just not prophetic necessarily. There's something specific, a specific picture, a specific word, and also something about the specific time. There's a timeliness to New Testament prophecy. Which is why when someone prophesies in a New Testament sense, they should be seen, listening to see if someone confirms that. Yep, that's for me, or I think that's for us. That's what we should be looking for, okay? But also with this, listen, this is where it's important about discerning one another. Sometimes New Testament prophecy can be as simple as a real specific verse that God gives you to give somebody else. Man, I've seen this happen over and over and over again in so many people's lives where maybe they read something that morning and a verse jumps out at them. They're like, oh man, thank you, Lord. I needed that. Maybe they write in a journal. Maybe they think about that. And then someone else at church says, you know, I was praying this morning and God gave me this verse. I think it's for you. And they give you the same verse. I think that's prophetic. I think that's God trying to say something very specific to you that day. Listen to that. The Bible says part of the New Testament work of the Holy Spirit is that your sons and daughters, that's everyone, will prophesy. So, so when it comes to discerning the needs of God, sometimes we need God to speak something specific, and we should wait for that. We should desire that and wait for that. But also, listen, Old Testament prophecy versus New Testament prophecy, Old Testament prophecy needs to be accepted as God's truth. What God says in his word is truth. It's not debatable. Not for a believer. It's not debatable. We might need to debate our interpretation, but the truth itself is not debatable. What God says is what God says. That's, that's the whole point. But when it comes to New Testament prophecy, it should be accepted as God's wisdom after it's tested. It's just God's wisdom. Which is why what I've seen, the people that, that tend to have a prophetic gifting, they tend to be very humble about how they use that. Hey, I think I have this picture. I think it might be for you. Do you think this might be for you? Here's what it is. Because they realize they could be wrong. They realize, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, they might prophesy in part. So here's the, here's the reality. When it comes to Old Testament prophecy, it has to be accepted. We, we, don't, we don't say, well, that was the Old Testament. We don't believe that anymore. We, we don't have that option. When it comes to New Testament prophecy, and again, I'm not talking about what's said in the New Testament, but when a, a person, a New Testament believer, prophesies, it must be tested. It's got to be tested. Because if we don't test it, listen, if we don't test it, how are we going to know it's the Lord? Now, I want to pull this back quickly in closing to this whole point that we're coming up with, which is how do we discern the needs for one another, of one another? One of the ways we discern this is to be praying, God, would you show me how to meet these needs? Would you fill me with love? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me who I, what I need to say to whom? And sometimes it means you don't need to say anything. But the reality is we should still be expecting God to speak. We should be coming together when we gather at home group or we gather for a prayer meeting or we gather on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon. We should be coming together expecting God to speak. You know why? Because we need him to. We need him to speak to us. We need to hear what God has to say. Do you believe God wants to speak to you when you come to church on a Sunday morning? Obviously, not too enthusiastically. Do you believe that God wants to speak to you when you come to church on a Sunday morning? And you recognize it's got nothing to do with me, right? 
I was a bit more enthusiastic. Do you believe God can speak to through you to another person? He can. Now, he's not, he doesn't want to do this. Listen, God never fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we can feel good about ourselves or we can draw attention to ourselves. He fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we can discern and meet other people's needs. Are you guys following me on this? I hope as we, we are getting to the close of this series, and again, two more weeks, and it'll be our last one in this series, that we are realizing, one, it's not optional to, do, to, to uh, obey the one of their commands. That Jesus' followers were called to pursue obedience to these things. I hope you guys see that. I hope you see that it's not as simple as we thought it would be. It's complex. We're messy people. It's difficult. But I also hope you see that this is exactly what you're being equipped for. This is why we gather under the word of God. This is why we seek to minister one to another because God wants to empower us and show himself to us, through us. I hope you guys see that. And Father, we ask you to make this a reality in our lives. Grow us in this, Lord. I thank you, Father, for what I've already seen of this at Servants. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the hunger we've seen in people, for the ministry that we've seen one to another. Lord, thank you so much for that. But we pray, Father, that you would fill us afresh and show us, Lord, how to walk in this. Help us to not be so, help us to not be pursuing a certain experience, but to pursue the fruit that only you can produce in our lives. Help us to pursue you for that. Lord, we ask that you'd Help us to be honest about our needs and that you give us the grace to meet each other's needs. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.